initiative that we're taking on called Love Our City. Let me tell you where that's born out of. It's born out of the word of God. It's something that we feel compelled to do because of the word of God. And you see, what we've been studying and learning over the last several weeks is that there is an importance to loving our neighbors. And the reason why it's important, friends, is because God loves people. But we can't miss this point. God loves people through people. Like, God loves people through people. Like, don't miss that. Like, God shows up when people show up. Let me bring this a little bit closer to home. God shows up when we show up. When you show up. When we dare to step out and touch the lives of people and connect with our neighbors. Right? And so the context for this scripture that we've been looking at, and we're going to go back to it, is this encounter that Jesus has with this Jewish religious expert, right? This guy's an expert, right? So he knows some stuff. But he comes to Jesus with a question that all of us, I dare say, have wrestled with. Maybe we're wrestling with it now. The question was simply this. How do I inherit eternal life? How, how do I inherit this kingdom of God? How do I do this thing called relationship with God? How do I follow God? How do I really do what's right? How do I live the life that God intends for me, the one that has purposes, that leads me to his plans, that truly fulfills me? And Jesus responds to this expert and says, well, you're an expert in the law. You're an expert in this religious, you know, all this religious stuff, right? And you know something of me. You know something of the kingdom according to the scriptures. So what's your interpretation of it? And this guy actually responds quite wisely because he sums up the whole law with two things, which are really one and the same. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor, he says, as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Go and do that. And then this guy's pride and his religious expertise kicks in. You see, he thought he knew something a little bit more than Jesus. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? Because you got to understand that according to Jewish law, according to religious Jewish law, to love your neighbor was to love your fellow Israelite. To love the person who was from the nation of Israel. To love the person that you went to Torah class with. To love the person that looks like you, talks like you, worships like you. To love the person closest to you in your community that you're supposed to love. And so Jesus responds to his question with a parable. And this parable, all parables are intended to reveal to us spiritual truth on a very practical level. It's meant to bring heaven down to earth in a manner that it touches our hearts and it opens our understanding. And so we're going to go back to Luke chapter 10, verse 30. But before we do, we learned a couple of things over the last several weeks. First week, we learned that we can't love God and not love our neighbors. Like, you can't profess to love God and overlook people. And when I'm talking about your neighbors, I'm not talking about your wife. I'm not talking about... You know, your kids, I'm not talking about your family who just might live in the same building with you that you call neighbor. I'm talking about people that we don't know, people that, that, that we might overlook. And we, too, we learn that we have to get over it. Why? Because we all have biases. We all have biases. Come on, look at three people and tell them, I know. Yeah, I know, yeah. We all have biases. For real. And because we have them, we have to keep those things in check. We have to be aware of them because they will get in the way of how we approach people, but they'll also get in the way of what God wants to do. 
Not just in our lives, but through our lives. Week three, we learned that love entails sacrifice. Love entails sacrifice. You cannot love God. You cannot love your neighbors. We can't do that without going to the extent of sacrifice. See, if it's comfortable, it's not God. If it's comfortable, it's not God. Because, you see, comfort is for our benefit. But sacrifice is for the Lord and unto the lives of others. Amen? Amen. Week four, we learned that we can't love people without bringing them to the house. We have to create space, margin in our lives. We have to bring them to the church. We have to bring them into, into our circle. We have to invite people there. And we also have to step into theirs, right? Last week, we took a little detour and we encouraged fathers because how many of you know fathers are neighbors, right? Come on, we love dads, right? We love moms. We love all people, right? But fathers need support. Today, we're going to dig back into Luke chapter 10. And I want you to dig into this and hear what God would say to you. I'm not bringing you an opinion. Let's look back at the scripture. Luke chapter uh, 10 verse 30 starts off by saying that Jesus replied to this man. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I've said this last couple of weeks, but this is Jewish country. This is where Jews belong in this story. And so a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away. And check this out, they left him half dead. And then it says a priest, somebody say a priest. priest. So this person belongs in this story. This is a Jewish priest. And if you look at the original language, this is a Jewish high priest. Right? So this person belongs in the story. He's going down the same road when he saw the man and he passed by on the other side. Tell somebody that's messed up. That is really messed up, right? And so, too, the scripture says, a Levite, somebody say a Levite. This person also belongs in this story. This is one of the people that functions in service to the Lord in in all matters pertaining to religious activity in the Jewish culture. So a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. That is messed up. Absolutely. But watch this. But a Samaritan, say a Samaritan. This person does not belong in this story. This person is a sworn enemy to a Jew. This person is a person that Jews would refer to in those days as half-breeds, dead dogs. You see, they didn't look alike. They came from different uh, lineage, uh, ethnical uh, backgrounds. They had different manners of worship. They had different beliefs about God. And so this person certainly does not belong in this story, except we must take into consideration who placed them there. Jesus. Jesus put him in the story. And so this Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And this word pity here in the Greek is not, uh, I bendito, you know, I feel so sorry for you. Let me, you know, know, let me me just kind of like just give you a little quick handout just to kind of help you because that's really about me. It's not about you. It's just about me feeling like I did something really nice. That's not that kind of pity. The word pity here speaks of compassion. It's a deep love. It's one, according to Jewish uh, uh, beliefs, that was born out of the very bowels of your deepest part of your soul. It came from deep within. So this is a godly love. And watch what this love compelled this man to do. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. This is not talking about Cisco oil. or This is talking about, like, expensive stuff, right? He, he went to great lengths, right? And then he put this man on his own donkey. In other words, he got out of his car and put him in the car because there was only room for one car. This must have been a really nice car, right? 
But he got off his donkey and said, I'm going to get off my high horse so that I can pick you up. So that I can lead you and help you get to this place of healing and wholeness. And then he brought him to an end and he took care of him. But it doesn't stop there. The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. To the innkeeper. And watch what he says. Look after him. And when I return, when I return, when I return, when I return. You see, I'm not just in this for touch and go. I'm in this for touch and stay. I need to make sure that you're going to live. I'm gonna, I need to make sure that you're going to be all right. I need to make sure that you get to, to the place of healing. I need to make sure that you get back to this space of wholeness. I need to make sure that you can live for the long haul, that you can enjoy life, that you can recover, that you can be redeemed and restored. And so he says, when I, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus turns to this guy and he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. Who was the neighbor? Who was the one that actually cared? And this guy goes, duh, that's obvious. The one who had mercy on him, the one who stopped, who interrupted his plans, the one who, who took a detour, the one who went above and beyond, the one who gave sacrificially, the one who checked for a, a post, the one who believed that there was something still possible where everybody else said, this guy is dead and done. That one. And Jesus told him, watch this, go, say this with me, and do likewise. Do likewise. Let me, let me ask you a question as we start today and we dig in a little bit more. What might Jesus be speaking to you right now? What, what, what might God actually be saying to you right now? And what action will we take because of it? Now, if I were to ask you, what is the difference between the people that belong in this story and the one that doesn't belong in this story? I, you'd note the obvious, the same thing I noticed. You'd note the ones who belong didn't help this guy. They didn't stop. They didn't care. They didn't do anything. You'd also note that the one that shouldn't have stopped right? The one who was an enemy in this territory, right? The one who didn't belong in this story, the one who shouldn't have actually helped someone who was contrary to his beliefs, wasn't his countryman, didn't look like him, didn't worship like him, who probably reviled him. Remember, this is a Jewish context here. So most likely we can, we can conclude with some great level of certainty that the man who's laying there half dead is probably a Jewish person. And while that has an appearance of truth, friends, I would submit to you that that's not what makes the difference between the ones who stopped and the ones who didn't. You see, that's the result of what made the difference. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. What made the difference was who saw the man. Now, I know, I know, I got some Bible scholars here, and you're going, yeah, but pastor, we just read it. And they all saw the man, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan. They all saw him. No, 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 friends. I would submit to you that the only one that had sight was the Samaritan because he saw what Jesus wants us all to see in this parable. He saw what we're intended to see. See, Jesus wants us to see our neighbors. Today I want to talk to you 
directly from the heart of God. As we look to the scriptures on this topic, I see you. I want you to look at some people you didn't come with today, and I want you to tell them, I see you. Yeah, I see you. I see you. I, like, I see you. I, I see you. I see you. I, I see you. Right? You know, there are two types of people in life. That whenever you show up, the first type is a person that wherever they go, their life announces non-verbally. Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. It's about me. It's for me. What can you do for me? What have you done for me lately? Right? It's about me. It's about me, my for, and no more. It's all about me. And you don't have to say it because your actions display it. Right? Here I am. But then there's the second type of person who announces with their life non-verbally, there you are. There you are. There are those that see others, and then there are those that only see themselves. And friends, we got we to gotta really take this question to heart. Which one are you? Which one are you? Because you see, it matters. Which one are you? And so we have to allow the scriptures to speak to that question. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says this, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. See, you're not closing your hand, you're closing your heart. We're closing our hearts. Before you ever close your hand, before you ever close your life, you close your heart. Yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? How could you claim God is in your life? How could you be open to the truth of God's word? How could you ever aspire to have in any understanding of a God who loves you and cares for you and has great things for you? So he goes on to say, little children, let us not love in word. Somebody say word. Some of you got real hood when you said that. Stop. Relax. Calm down. Stop. Stop. Calm down. Word, son, word. Stop. Stop. Right? Let us not love in word or talk. Let us not just talk about it. Let us not just profess it. But in deed and in truth. See, if we're not doing it, we're not living in truth. Because we're living according to a lie. Right? See, love for our neighbors will lead us beyond the faces of people. You got to really lean into this in, a mo in this moment. Love for our neighbors will lead us to see beyond the faces of people and see past their circumstances. See, oftentimes when we look at people, we look at conditions. And we equate that to people. Chew on that for a moment because we're going to dig into that in a sec. Love helps us see people's need for love. I'm not talking about temporary things. It helps us see people's need for God's love and our call to act with genuine love. This Samaritan did not see a Jewish man laying on the floor. He saw a person who happened to be hurting. 
very different. And so there came a day where Jesus was leaving this same area. The Bible says that he was leaving Jericho. We don't know what road he was on, but he's leaving, and a large crowd is following him. And as they walked on this road, a man with great need begins to cry out. And he was a man who, who kept crying out, and, and, and no one saw him. No one cared to stop for him. The crowd just kept moving, and this guy was crying out with great need, but no one noticed until Jesus noticed. Let's see what this moment, along with the parable of the Good Samaritan, teaches us about developing our ability to see our neighbors, to see people and to love them the way God instructs us to. Mark 10, starting at verse 46, says, Upon leaving the village, they met a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road named Bartimaeus. He was the son of a man named Timaeus. And when he heard that Jesus from Nazareth was passing by, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me now in my affliction. I want you to take a moment to connect with the desperation that is plaguing this man's heart and mind. I want you to consider that this guy isn't just like raising his voice. He's pleading for life. He says, heal me. Watch this. And those in the crowd were indignant. They scolded him. Watch this. For making so much of a disturbance. You're a disturbance, my friend. We don't have time for you. You're part of the ills that plague our society. We, we got no time for you. We don't want you around. You don't belong on this road. In other words, shut up. Play your position. Stay there on the fringes of life. But he kept shouting with all his might. This guy pours his heart and his soul and every ounce of strength. And he says, son of David. He's proclaiming Jesus to be the Savior of the world, the Messiah, when he calls him Son of David. He says, have mercy on me now, and healed me. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus stops, and Jesus says, call him here. And so they went to the blind man, these hypocrites, and they said, have courage. In other words, rejoice. Be joyful. Why? Because, get up, because Jesus is calling for you. Watch this. He threw off his beggar's cloak. He jumped up and he made his way to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Don't miss this holy moment. Heaven stops. God Almighty, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the man who came, God who came in the form of man for the entire world, stops in the middle of a crowd, in the middle of different needs, in the middle of various situations, in the middle of societal problems. He stops for this one man and he asks this question, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? What can I do? do for you. The man replied, my master, P 
please, let me see again. Restore my sight that I might see again. Because while I'm lacking the ability to see, I'm also lacking vision for my life. I'm sitting on the side of a road begging. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how this is all supposed to work out. And so I'm asking you, restore my sight to me. And Jesus responds, your faith has healed you. Your faith heals you. Your faith in me. Your dependence upon me. Your genuine turning towards me has opened the door and you are healed. Go in peace with your sight restored. And watch where this man's sight leads him. All at once this man's eyes are open and he could see again. And he began at once to follow Jesus walking down the road with him. Your eyes will lead you to things in this world, but vision will lead you to God. You see, Bartimaeus was a neighbor. He was a neighbor to everyone in that crowd. He was a neighbor to Jesus. He was a neighbor to the disciples who were there. He was a neighbor in this community, but he was a neighbor that no one saw. He was a neighbor that no one looked out for. This, he was a neighbor that no one stopped to care for except for Jesus. And there are differences between Jesus and the crowd. There are differences between the Samaritan who's an example, a type of Christ unto us, and the religious people who thought they had it all together, there are differences between these different people groups because there was one who saw versus those who didn't. And in this moment, I dare say that the scriptures speak loudly to us. And they beckon us, they invite us to step out of this place called me. The first thing that we see by way of example through this encounter that Jesus has, and even through the parable of the Good Samaritan, is that believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Say that with me. Believing is seeing. What are we talking about here, Pastor And Let me tell you what we're talking about. The reason why the priest and the Levite, the Levite didn't see this hurting man on the road, and the reason why the people in the crowd didn't see Bartimaeus is because they did not believe that anything was possible for him, for them, in their situation. The priest, the Levite, they're walking along this road and they see this guy and they go, he's dead. There's no hope for him. I'm not touching him. The law says I'm not even supposed to touch a corpse. Doesn't look like he's breathing. I've got too much to do. I've got other people to go see. Right? I've got other responsibilities that are more important. And so this, these guys see this man. They see this man, but they believe there's no hope for him. The crowd following Jesus overlooked Bartimaeus. They did not see him on the side of the road because they assumed there was no hope for him either. You see, to be a blind man and a beggar in those days was to be at the bottom rung of society. Blindness in those days, physical malady of this to this extreme, was viewed as something that was, you were viewed as you were cursed by God. Cursed by God because somebody, either you or your parents or someone close to you, has sinned against God and so God has struck you with blindness. 
So this guy wasn't just blind, he was an outcast in society. And because he was viewed as worthless and hopeless, his assignment in life, according to society, was you get to beg on the side of a road and play on the pity of people hoping, not that they'll give you a little helping hand, that they'll give you some chump change. Just a little, just a little chump change of my time. A little chump change of my resources. A little chump change of my ability to listen to you and tolerate you just enough so that I feel good about the fact that I did something. See, where people see no hope, where people see no chance for change, where people see no possibility for new life, Jesus sees differently. Let me tell you why. Because he believes. He believes in dead things that come back to life. He believes in broken things becoming whole again. He believes in the helpless coming to the place of hope. Come on, somebody. That's, that's the God we serve. The parable of the Good Samaritan in Bartimaeus' encounter with Jesus teaches that we cannot allow people's current conditions in life to deter us from believing in the God-ordained potential that lies dormant in them. Friends, you and I must remember this, that that person that you go, there's no hope for them. There's too much of a mess there. I don't even want to touch that, man. I don't even know if it's possible for that person to change. We must remember that when we look at those people, that God loves them too. We must remember that God specializes in working in dead places. God specializes in restoring people that have wrecked their life and that of others. Jesus was never deterred by people's conditions. And friends, neither should we. We should believe in the potential that God can do great things no matter whose life it is as opposed to seeing people according to their conditions and giving up on them like a high priest, like a Levite, like the crowd who was following Jesus. I love the example of Jesus. One day he's with the disciples, he's hanging out, and he gets an urgent message. Some people come with a message from a distant, just a couple of days travel, and they say to him, Jesus, Jesus, your friend Lazarus, he, he's, he's very sick. It's, it's really urgent. And Jesus says, okay, hey, guys, we're camping out two more days before we even get going. Right? Kind of like, do you even care? But Jesus was purposeful. So while they're on the journey, he says to the disciples, hey, our friend Lazarus, he sleeps. And they go, oh, then he must be doing better because he's sleeping. He's recuperating. Let us also go sleep, you know, and, and, and recuperate, you know, and whatever. And Jesus says, guys, are you missing this? He's dead. He's dead. But I'm glad that we have this opportunity because you're going to see what this is really all about. So they show up there, and immediately one of Lazarus' sister comes crying to him. You know, and she says, if you had been here, Master, or my brother, he would have he been alive. He would have made it. 
The other sister's at the tomb crying her eyes out, lamenting about how much she misses him and how much she wished the, the results were different. She's not even interested in going to Jesus. And Jesus then says, open the tomb. And everybody goes, it stinketh. It stinks in there. It's been several days that he's been dead. You, you got to understand, Jesus, there's probably maggots in there already. Like, there's, there's no way this guy's coming back. He's dead. He stinks. Can't touch that. There's no hope for this guy coming back. Why, why open the tomb? And Jesus says, open the tomb. And they open the tomb, and then Jesus says, Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. Take the grave clothes off of him. Lazarus, come forth. He calls the dead to life. Now, why do I share that with you? Because you can't bury what Jesus declares is meant to rise. You can't give up on what Christ paid for with his very precious blood. And friends, I'm going to just put this out there just like this, man. We have a responsibility to believe where people don't even believe in themselves. We have a responsibility to look at communities differently and believe the best because God is able. And we have the privilege to carry this responsibility to bring hope to hopeless places. We can't continue to bury people because everyone else has locked them in the cage of their past and has thrown away the key. We can't continue to bury people because they've burnt every bridge imaginable, even the ones to us. We can't continue to bury people because everyone else has canceled them. And we certainly can't bury people because they are stuck in a cycle of sin. Can't do that. No, I love you, right? You know that, right? How dare we then side with the idea that there is no hope for people who are made in the image of God? Oftentimes, we focus on what we see. We focus on conditions and behaviors, and we forget that in people's mess, there is a message of hope waiting to be uncovered, and I'll prove it to you. Look at your life. Look at the mess you came from, because I know the mess I came from. Don't tell me that there's not help for the hopeless because we were there. Don't tell me that God can't take a mess and make a message of hope and restoration out of people's lives. So don't let what you see lead you to disbelieve what God can do when you love your neighbors. Second point I want to leave us with here is that if we don't see people, we can't help people. We don't see people, we can't help people. What am I talking about? The people in the crowd, the priests and the Levite, they all had physical sight, but they were all blind because they could not see what Jesus saw. Everyone else saw a blind beggar. Everyone else saw a dead man. But Jesus and this Samaritan, they saw a man who suffered. In the case of Bartimaeus, Jesus saw a man who suffered. He saw a person who suffered because of his condition of blindness. And oftentimes we flip the role and what we do is we see people's condition and we're blind to them as people. 
In the case of the, the man who's on the road, the priest and the Levite, they saw a man who, they, they didn't see a man. What they saw is a dead corpse in their perspective. In other words, Jesus saw Bartimaeus as a man. He understood how his blindness plagued his heart. He saw how Bartimaeus had conformed to what society saw and said. He saw the shame that he carried as he wore his cloak that identified him as blind and a beggar. He saw the shame that, that, that he carried because of that. He saw a man who lived on the fringes of daily life because he believed the worth that people ascribed to him because of his condition. People didn't see him as a person. They saw him as a condition that plagued their society. Now, I remember many years ago when we first started, there used to be an event that we used to do called Super Soak Summer Bash. How many of you remember that? Some of you remember that? Right? A few of you remember that. We used to get like a 6,000-gallon water truck, and we'd be at the soccer field by Delano Hitch, and we'd do slides, and we'd do music, and we'd do food. And while we were doing that, we were loving people, introducing them to Jesus, praying with people, serving people, right? Just putting a face to Jesus in one of the most practical ways. Jesus is fun, y'all. Jesus is the coolest dude ever, right? Let me tell you how cool this dude was. He walked on water. That's a pretty cool dude. That's my Jesus. That's our Jesus, right? So we used to do this event, and I remember one year, I think it was the second year. We did it a few years in a row. Um, we're doing something different now. We love our city, so make sure you get signed up for that. It's going to be awesome. But anyway, um, while, they, while they were setting up, you know, they were, you know, we had volunteers, and some guys were running the hose and all this other stuff. And this guy, John, who owned this truck, pulls up next to me. He stands next to me. He goes, let me ask you a question. How did you know that God told you to come here to Newburgh? And then he says, it must have been because of all the need amongst people. It must have been because of the poverty. It must have been because of the crime. It must, and, and here's the thing. I, I, immediately, I still remember my response to him because it was true, and it's still true. I didn't even know what Newburgh was about then. When we first came here to this city, I had no clue. For those of you that know the story, I came in the middle of a blizzard. There was nobody standing outside. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew I didn't want to be here. Right? I knew I had my own biases. So my point is, in that moment when he said that to me, I said, you know, John, it wasn't the need of people. It wasn't the need. I just sensed really deep in my spirit, in my heart, that people needed Jesus. See, I saw people. I saw people. Let me tell you why that's important, friend. I'll tell you why that's important. Because some of us are moved by conditions we see in people, and that's pity. That's pity. But then there are those who are moved because they see people. That's compassion. That's compassion. That's the love of God. See, unless we take the time to see people by seeking to understand them, to hear their hearts, we can never truly help people because they're not people to us. They're conditions. Friends, we must raise our awareness of people so we can see them and we can serve them. You know why? Because that's where Jesus is. 
I don't have time to get into this. I'll just kind of quickly summarize it there. Jesus says that there's a day when um, he's going to separate his people like sheep and goats. Sheep are animals that are very compliant for the most part, right? They will follow a leader once the leader establishes himself, right? Goats, on the other hand, they're just knuckleheads, right? It's like, it's just me, my way back. It's all about me, right? So he says he's going to separate his people like sheep and goats. So sheep, he's going to say, hey, blessed are you because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I, when I had no clothes and I needed clothes, you clothed me. When I was sick, you looked after me. When I was in prison, you came and you visited me. And then he's going to turn to his goats and he's going to go, man, you, you really dropped the ball. I'm paraphrasing here. You're really wicked. Because you see, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me drink. When I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. When I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. When I, when I was sick, you didn't look after me. When I was in prison and locked in a cage and stuck in a muck, you didn't come and you didn't visit me. And in both cases, it says that the sheep and the goat are going to say, when, when did we do this or when didn't we do this? I don't, ever, I don't recall ever encountering you. And Jesus in Matthew 25, verse 40 says this. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did for me. You did for me. You see, friends, when we see people, what we do is we open the pathway that leads us to take interest in people beyond the superficial and to discover that that's where God wants to work. Hey, you know that person that gets on your nerve and you want to kill? I hope that's not really true, that you don't really want to do that. Right? You, you know that person that you just swear they are my enemy? Those people that have burnt bridges, that have hurt you? Hey, Jesus is there. You know that community that you avoid, that you go, oh, I, I can't drive through there. I, would, I wouldn't even get out my car there. That's, Jesus is there. Yeah. You know that person that, that, that complains and, and moans and cries about their life and about their marriage and, 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 and you, you listen and you're just kind of tapping your finger and going, yeah, my lunch hour is over. Jesus is there. My point being is simply this. That in the place of need, we must see people, not problems. Because that's where Jesus wants to work through you, through me, through us. The last point I want to leave you with here as we close is that seeing people clarifies the real need. Seeing people clarifies the real need. What are you talking about? I know some of you, let me, let me clarify this for you, lest you go somewhere else that I'm not taking you. And I want you to see this from the word of God. The Jewish expert was seeking clarity on a most important question. How do I inherit eternal life? How do I receive what you say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on, in, on earth as it is in heaven. How, how do I walk this out with you? He was seeking the answer to a most important question, one that we ourselves wrestle with if we're honest. And the whole, the totality of his question is, he's asking concerning what he needs. 
And Jesus didn't respond. Jesus didn't say, you need to behave. You need to become a better person. You need to try real hard not to do sinful things. You need to memorize these scriptures. You need to do all these religious things. No, in fact, Jesus said, you need to love God. With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your soul, with all your strength. But you also need, you need, you need, you need, you need to love your neighbor. And what this tells us is that loving our neighbors isn't for their benefit. Loving our neighbors is for our benefit. Friend, family, listen closely, man. We don't have to love people. We don't have to serve people. We need to love people. We need to serve people. Because when we step out that way, we resemble God most. The nature, the nurture, the hand of God is most evident when people step outside of themselves and love their fellow man. So the question is, will you love your neighbor? See, loving and serving our fellow man is not optional for children of God. It is oxygen. Oxygen because like oxygen, we need it to live. A Christian who's not serving is struggling. A Christian who's not loving their neighbor is not living. Why? Because while you may have it all, you are shriveling within. You're living for things. And the problem with living for things, living for, for, for me, myself, my four and no more is this, that those things eventually fade. People fail. What one, what one day has you feeling up is the very same thing that will have you feeling down. But the one thing that keeps us alive, like oxygen, is when we love God and we love our neighbors. Galatians 5, 13 through 14 says this, For you were called to freedom, my brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Here's what that means. Don't use your freedom, what you've received in Christ, the love of God towards you, the blessing of God towards you. Don't use it as an opportunity for me for your selfish desires. No, instead, he says, through love, serve one another. Serve one another. Serve one another. So you see, according to this chapter here, this verse here, the whole law, the totality of what it means to inherit this kingdom of God to be in relationship with God, to begin to grow and mature and to thrive in life. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, the scripture tells us. One word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
the love of God towards you and the goodness of God towards you and I does not, does not, it cannot come full circle unless we use it as an opportunity to love and serve others. To care. To see people. To look past conditions. And so today, as we close, as we stand here and we close, I leave you with this question. Do you see people? Or do you see conditions? Will you continue to see problems? Or will you purpose from this day forward to see people? Because as long as people are around us, there's still hope for them. The same hope that's still working in us. As we close today, I want you to do something with me. I want you to close your eyes. Don't worry about it. Nobody's going to dig your pocket. We're not doing this for some super spiritual thing. It's just simply so that you don't get distracted. If you take a moment to lock in on where you're at. And I want to end with a question that I started with in the beginning. What is Jesus saying to you? What is God instructing you to do? What is God telling you right now in this holy moment by his holy word? Is he telling you that you've been taking the wrong opportunities, that you've been living for self? Is he telling you, well done, good and faithful servant, but it doesn't end here. You got to keep going with this. Is he telling you that maybe that person that keeps coming across your path, that they're there for a reason? Is he telling you that it's time to stop playing church and start living true life? Is he calling you to rise to a next level of life by truly loving him, by loving the people around you, by seeing people? Lord, today, I pray the prayer of the Apostle Paul. I pray that the eyes of our heart would be opened. That we would know the inheritance that you've given us in this kingdom. That we would know your power towards us. And that we would walk in the fullness of that. Because we love you, we will love our neighbors. Because we love you, we will dare to take a city by storm. Because we love you, we will dare raise a banner that's not just for this city, but will shine a light in this entire region and set an example of what it looks like when your kingdom is come and your will is done. This day, Lord, we look to you. We turn to you. And for some of us, in turning to you, we're turning away from our error. For others, we're turning towards you, Lord, 
because we see what you're doing, but Lord, now we have greater clarity. And we commit to follow. Thank you, Lord, for your word, which is true. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.